0: We'll go ahead and get started. Guys, it's, uh, it's, it's really great to be back with, with all of you, all right? If you are new and you started coming around DOXA in the last, like, seven to eight weeks and you're wondering who I am, like I said during announcements, my name is Rob. I'm actually one of the pastors here at, at DOXA. I've been on sabbatical for the last seven weeks. And so, guys, it's, it's great to be back. And um, Lisa and I have, have missed you guys a ton, um, But the sabbatical was was really, really good. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this right now, but I will say this. I just want to say thanks for praying. All right, like probably eight or nine weeks ago, I stood up on the stage and just kind of asked you guys to pray for like refreshment and healing for Lisa and I. And and I can just tell you guys that I could share for the next 30 minutes about this stuff, but I just want to tell you that, that God met us in a very like personal and profound way. And the refreshment and the healing that we got from God has just been incredible, and it's exactly what we needed, that he used our time away, and so thank you so much for praying for us. It means a lot. We could really sense kind of like your prayers and his presence as we just kind of walk through that sabbatical together. And, and if I can, I would just love to ask your pr- for your prayers um, once again, because here's the reality of my life, okay? If you don't know this, I am a broken and sinful man. Amen? Right, Okay. But I am, and, and I am prone to, like so many of us, like all of us, right, to just kind of encounter God, to hear from God, to experience God, and then kind of go out into my everyday stuff of life and get really busy and distracted with a lot of things and then just forget how I experienced him and forget what he said and then just become the man in James chapter one who looks at himself in the mirror, sees himself, and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. And I don't want to be that guy, right? Lisa doesn't want to be that woman. And so I would love to, to ask for your continued prayers for Lisa and I, that we would really truly grab hold of the ways that God has showed up on our sabbatical and that we would remember these things, that we would have the strength and the courage to respond to God and become more and more into the men and women that God has created us to be. And so if, if and when you do think of us, if you pray for us, man, I would greatly appreciate that, okay? So with that, what we're gonna do is we're gonna keep going through our study through Genesis today. So grab your Bibles, and I want you to find your way to chapter... 29. All right, we have 133 verses today. All right, three chapters, okay? So grab your coffee, slam it, smack yourself in the face, and just buckle up, because we're going to be here for a while, right? But as we get into this, okay, before we even open the Bible, I want to just ask you to consider two questions. Two questions. And the first one's going to be likely very easy for you to answer. The second one you might have to think about for a minute. But the first question is this. What is your deepest longing in life? What is that? Like, what is the thing that you think most about? What is the thing that you most desire? What is the thing that you feel like, man, I can't live without, or if I got it, everything would be fixed and better? It's the deepest longing of your life? Second question, how does that intense desire, how does that longing drive and impact the direction of your life? Like, what do you sacrifice to fulfill that longing? How are, like, the rhythms and kind of, like, the priorities of your life shaped by that deep desire and that deep longing that you have? Docs, I want to tell you that these two questions are so very important because these questions, they really impact so much of who you are, where you're going, and what you will become. And today, I really believe that God is going to help us to understand our longings, he's going to help us to understand our desires, and he's going to help us to know what it is that we should do with those, and how do we actually find the fulfillment in life that we're all ultimately looking for. All right, and so here's what I'm going to do. I can't teach all these verses today. I mean, I could, but you probably couldn't endure it, and so this is my gift to you today, okay? So what I am going to do is I'm just going to summarize these three chapters for you. I'm just going to tell this story, and then we're going to hone in on a few specific verses that I feel like are very, very significant for us today here at Doxa. All right, so if you remember back to last week, Rudy gave kind of a, an excellent teaching on chapter 28. And in this, we, we saw Jacob, the deceiver, who is also a man who is called by God and chosen by God. In this moment, he, he commits himself to God. Then on his way to Haran from Beersheba, he, he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a ladder with on it, like, angels were ascending and descending on this ladder. And in this dream, the Lord stands next to Jacob and he declares to him, he promises to him that he's going to bless him and he's going to be with Jacob wherever he goes. And so Jacob wakes up from this dream and he's just awestruck by this encounter with God. And he vows in that moment that the Lord will be his God. And so this brings us to chapter 29. Jacob, on his journey, he arrives in the east where his mother's family lives, all right, and he sees some shepherds. All right, around this well and they're here they're from haran he starts to talk to them he finds out they know laban who is jacob's uncle and that laban's daughter he says hey laban's daughter rachel is actually coming right now so you should meet your cousin and so jacob kind of sees rachel He notices that she's very attractive. He has this like love at first sight moment where like time stands still. He hears like a John Mayer song in the background and he's just kind of sitting there like, oh my gosh, right? And he goes over there, he moves this big heavy rock, kind of flexing on his way. And then he like feeds or waters her sheep and he kisses her, he cries. She's like, oh my gosh, I gotta go tell my dad. She goes, gets Laban. Laban comes back and says, hey, welcomes Jacob in and takes him into his home. And at this point, Laban Alright, he's he's inviting Jacob into his home and after a month of working Laban looks at Jacob and he says you really shouldn't be working for free like what can I pay you what should your wages be now Laban has two daughters the older daughter is Leah the younger daughter is Rachel and the text says that Leah has weak eyes we're gonna talk about this in a little bit but she has weak eyes but it's also saying that Rachel was beautiful all right and Jacob Quickly tells Laban that he will serve him for seven years if he can marry Rachel. And so he strikes a deal and the text says that because Jacob was like so in love with Rachel that those seven years were like a minute, all right? He didn't even care. And at the end of those seven years, Jacob asks Laban for Rachel. Laban throws this big wedding feast, but that night instead of Rachel, Laban brings Leah to Jacob's tent. All right, and this is one of those parts in the Bible, don't know exactly what happened, but apparently, very dark, Jacob partied a little too much, had a little too much vino, right, and he wakes up in the morning, and he realizes he had just slept with Leah, and she's now his wife, not Rachel. All right, so clearly Jacob's mad. He gives Laban an earful. Laban explains, hey, this is Haran. I don't know how they'd do it back there, but This is Haran, it's not customary to give your younger daughter before your older daughter in marriage. But he says, hey, I'll give you Rachel as well if you work another seven years. And because Jacob's just obsessed with Rachel, he he agrees to it. And after the customary wedding week with Leah, he then marries Rachel as well. But here's the situation. This is an important part of this story, which we're going to look at in a bit. If you look at chapter 29, verse 30, it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, okay, and in the Hebrew, this term literally means hated, that Leah was just undesirable. She was the forgotten girl. This is who Leah was, but while Jacob forgets her, here's the good part of this. God sees her, and he sees that she isn't loved, and he intervenes in a very unique way, and while Rachel remains barren, not being able to have children, God enables Leah to conceive four sons. And during this time that Rachel is barren, she is just so envious of Leah and her kids, and it begins this very weird, like, birth war between these two sisters. Okay? So Rachel, unable to get pregnant, but desperately desiring kids, what she does is she just gives her servant, Billa, to Jacob as another wife, hoping that she can have children through Billa. And surely enough, Billah conceives and bears two sons, And then Leah gets jealous, right? And she stopped bearing children and she gives her servant Zilpah to Jacob as a fourth wife. And Zilpah bears Jacob another two sons And this birth war that just continues, right? And and Rachel then gets jealous again and she asks Leah, Leah has these like plants that are called mandrakes and mandrakes are just like these plants that had some superstition around it that were causing you to be more fertile. Leah apparently has like, a cupboard full of them. Rachel knows about it. She's like, hey, give me some of those mandrakes. Leah's like, psh, no, right? And Leah, and Rachel's like, well, hey, I got an idea. I'll let you sleep with Jacob. And Leah's like, that sounds like a good plan. So she gives her some main mandrakes. Leah sleeps with Jacob again. And sometime after that, she gives birth to two more sons and a daughter. And then if you look at Genesis 30, verse 22, the text says that God remembers Rachel right and Rachel gets pregnant she gives birth to a son whom she names Joseph which is Jacob's favorite child as we learn in Genesis chapter 37 and so at this point Jacob has four wives one of which he loves he's got 12 kids one of which is his favorite and this family is just poised for success right I mean it's just great no not at all Right, a lot of drama unfolds. But after all these wives, after all these kids, Jacob then goes to Laban and says, hey, just let me go, I want to go back to my hometown, I want to start my own family. But Laban is just reluctant, as he says he's prospered because of Jacob, and so he asks, Laban asks Jacob, hey, what can I give you? Jacob says, just let me go, I don't want anything. But then he later says, hey, give me some of your flock. But just the black and the speckled spotted lambs and goats. And so Laban agrees to this, but Laban is a very smart, cunning, and deceptive guy. And he tries to deceive Jacob again by removing all of those part of his flock that Jacob wanted. And so Jacob kind of learns of this, and he starts to retaliate to be more deceptive. He devises a plan to trick Laban, and he ends up with Laban's flock. And he becomes very, very rich. And at the end of chapter 31, Laban's sons get very angry with Jacob. Laban no longer likes Jacob either. Then God tells Jacob, hey, just get out of there. So Jacob leaves. He doesn't tell Laban. Laban gets mad, right? Three days later, he hunts Jacob down. He catches up to him. He overtakes him, and he yells at him. He's like, you've deceived me. You left. I didn't even get to say bye, right? (laughs) Guys, this is just like crazy drama, right? But then Jacob gets mad at Laban, They fight, they talk it out, they eat a meal together, they make a covenant, and then the next morning, Laban kisses his daughters and his granddaughters and they leave, or grandchildren and they leave. Okay, so this is the story of Jacob in chapters 29 through 31. Now, what the heck, right? Some of you are like, yeah, you talked to my mom, that was my story, right? You know, I know that there's brokenness, but I mean, this is like a weird, dysfunctional episode of Dr. Phil, right? Right? What are we supposed to learn from this? So much drama, so much deception, so much sin, so much brokenness, and it's all around Jacob, who is God's guy, even stranger. And so what are we to make of this? Guys, the overarching point I want you to see is that Jacob did a great job with complicating his life and trying to screw it up. But God. But God's plans persist. And honestly, I could say so much about this account and make really many applications for us. You know, for example, we could look at Jacob here, and we could see that our sin and mistakes can't thwart God's salvation and mission. Right? That Jacob's sin of deception, his lying, his polygamous lifestyle, that was just a twisting of God's good plan for marriage. In the midst of all of that, we could talk about how our sin cannot thwart God's salvation and mission. That Jesus is a better savior than we are sinners, and his sovereign purpose and plan will always prevail. This would be a good, true thing for us to grab hold of. We could also talk about how Jacob's just had this ongoing sanctification, and we could talk about the reality that God catches fish before he cleans them. That it's not that we clean ourselves up and then come to God, but that God comes to us, and as we follow him, he sanctifies us and changes us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And that would be a good lesson for us to learn, and I hope that that brings you some like, comfort in the midst of your struggles of your daily life. We could also talk about the principle of reaping and sowing. How Jacob the deceiver is now deceived by Laban. And we could look at the Apostle Paul in, in Galatians chapter 6 where he says God will not be made a fool, that we will all eventually reap what we sow. There's so many things, guys, that we could consider today. But here's what I want to ho- ho- hone in on. This is a story, hear this, this is a story about longing and desperation. And in it, we see four people who, like all of us, have very strong longings, and they're striving to find fulfillment. And I wanna look at this this story through this lens of longing and see what God might teach us. So I'd like us to notice three things in this story. The first is the human nature of longing and desire and what we do to find fulfillment. The second thing is the frustration of unfocused longing and desire. And the third is Leah's discovery and our hope. So first, this human nature of longing and desire and what we do to find fulfillment. Doxa, when it comes to the longings that we have, the desires that we have, here's what we need to know. Longings and desires are part of our human experience, every single one of ours. All right, the author, Christine Hoover, she says it well, writing this, and I quote, We spend our lives with hands out and mouths open, looking for what we might consume. This is our experience as humans. In part because of how God designed us, we eat because our bodies require energy, and we reach with gentle affection for those we love out of a shared hunger for relationships. Listen, we are born in need, and our desires, implanted by God himself, referring to Acts chapter 17, sends us on a search for fullness of joy. Every single one of us is on a search for fullness of joy, and this is called life. But here's the thing, when it comes to these longings and desires, guys, they can so easily turn into obsessions, leading us to wild, endless searching and crazy overconsumption. This is what James chapter 4 talks about, that our desires become cravings, becoming our ultimate pursuit and point of life itself, that rather than our longings kind of like pointing us to the original source of joy and fulfillment, which is God himself, they instead become masters in our lives, demanding our undivided attention and taking our peace and our joy right along with them. All right, it's kind of like this. Guys, when is the last time you had a thought like this? if I could just have fill in the blank, if I could just have this, then everything would be okay. My life would be fixed and I'd finally be happy. You had that thought? Some of you are living in that right now. I mean, the truth is we've all experienced times where we have at least had that thought. And many of us have let that thought go from our head to our hands and our feet and it's driven our lives and we start to radically pursue it. Guys, this is what happened to the four characters in this historical account. It led them. Their desires, their longings became ultimate desires, which led to specific actions in their lives. So let me show you what I'm talking about. We'll start with Jacob. Look at Genesis 29, verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, you should therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. All right, so Jacob had just escaped his brother Esau after deceiving him and his own father and he goes to his mother's family and Laban his uncle takes him in kind of just allowed him to be a shepherd and to work because he had no money his life had just blown up flipped upside down and Laban asked him how much can I pay you and in verse 16 through 18 we see Jacob basically say here's what you can do Rachel he wanted Rachel as his bride and he was willing to work for seven years now Look back, what do we know about Rachel? Right? If you look back, it says that she was beautiful in form and appearance. And the Hebrew word for form is literally what you're thinking, it's her figure. And appearance likely refers to her face, and so we're talking about like a drop-dead gorgeous girl. here. Rachel was just gorgeous. And a man named Robert Alter, right, he's a Hebrew scholar, he's translated the Hebrew Bible, he says that there's all sorts of things in this text that show how over the top Jacob was with Rachel. And he says that when Jacob says that he will serve seven years for Rachel, and it only seemed like a few days, that this is Jacob just being consumed, like radically consumed with desire for Rachel. That this, this is like a crazy thing, this, this deep desire that he has, so much so that he's like, I will work for seven years. Now, I want you to understand this, because we know from both archaeology and history that the average man would pay 40 to, 30 to 40 shekels to a family for a bride, like a dowry. But if you add this up, one and a half shekels was the typical wage per month for a laborer. All right, so Jacob offering seven years of labor in exchange for Rachel is just a crazy amount of money. Jacob's not thinking right. He wants something so bad that he starts to do things that you're like, that doesn't make sense. Why don't you just do the, the normal payment? But he's just like so over the top. And then Alter goes on to say that if you even look to verse 21, when Jacob says, after the seven years that he says, hey, give me my wife so that I may go into her. My time is complete. Alter says that this is just so inappropriate, so uncustomary, because obviously Jacob is talking about having sex with Rachel. But he says this is just so uncustomary that, that Hebrew scholars and commentators, they've had to go backwards and kind of like explain this away. But Alter says that the meaning is very clear. He says that the narrator of Genesis is showing us a man driven by and overwhelmed with emotional and sexual longing for a woman. There are some of you men in here that your life revolves around this. You make decisions, you try and lead out because you haven't grasped hold of this and you don't understand it and you're being drug around on the leash by it. Jacob is just out of his mind with this longing and desire in his life. At this point, Jacob is just empty, right? He doesn't have family. He's just shipwrecked his life. He's just messed up really, really bad. He's lost everything. He didn't have anything and anyone to love. Nothing. And he's just walking through life. And then he sees her. It's Rachel. And he thinks... If I could just have her, if I could just have that, then everything will be better. My life will be fixed, I'll be okay. And his deep longing became his ultimate longing and it directed the course of his life and in his case, brought about a lot of sin, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of hurt. So this is Jacob. Now let's look at Laban. All right, Laban has these desires and these longings too, but it's for prosperity its wealth and money and possessions and Laban realizes as Jacob shows up and stayed with him that first month that Jacob had tremendous ability as like a shepherd and a manager and he figured he could like make a lot of money if Jacob was in charge of his flocks and so he looked at Jacob and he knew that he was vulnerable because he had nothing and he's deeply in love with Rachel and so he takes advantage of Jacob in this moment and he deceives him in order to gain wealth and if you look at chapter 30, verse 25 through 30, Laban and Jacob, they both acknowledge that J- or Laban had very little before Jacob came on the scene. But because Jacob was there, he prospered greatly. And so Laban was just reluctant to let him go. And this led him to be very deceptive. And I think as I was reading this and considering this, guys, Laban reminds me and gives me a picture of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he talks about how the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, And that that craving leads people away from God and into sin. And I wonder in a room this size, how many people here are in a similar place to Laban? That when I asked you that question of what it is you most long for, the quick answer for you was just like, well, money, more money. And I wonder how many of you are being controlled by that longing. You make all of your decisions based on that longing. You don't consult God about anything, but it's money that drives you and it's dragging you around. It makes me think of Jesus and his words when he says you can't serve both God and money. And his overarching point is that we can only have one master, one God of our lives. And many people today, they're led by and they worship the God that's in their wallet. Something to think about. How about Rachel? Surely there's got to be someone in this story, right? Once again, intense, overwhelming longing and desire. And for her, it was kids. Look at chapter 30, verse 1 and 2. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Billah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Billa, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. All right, so her deep longing for kids led her to be like, give me children or I will die. Right, it reminds me of my kids, right? They want a fruit by the foot. I'm gonna die if I don't get one, right? It's just like, are you serious, really? But she says, give me kids or I'm gonna die. And envy over her sister's kids just gripped her soul. And I want you to listen to how a pastor-theologian named Kent Hughes puts it. And I quote, he says, Envy's dark pathology diminished her own blessings in life and puffed up Leah's blessings way beyond reality. And in her bitterness, stemmed from her deep longing, Rachel had forgotten that her barrenness was God's doing, that he is the giver of life. And at this point... Thoughts of God were far from her. And so her longings have taken over. She's no longer thinking about God. She's thinking about her longings. And she takes matters into her own hands. And she has her husband, marry her servant, which is not God's design. God created a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. The two become one flesh. We read this like 20-some chapters earlier, right? And she goes into and introduces polygamy into their family. Not setting it up right? It's just sinful. It was okay by culture, but not okay with God's design. And and I have to believe that Rachel knew about the Sarah Hagar fiasco that happened. I have to believe that she knew about Esau's like crazy situation with his marriages. And I have to believe that she once treasured the idea of just like a monogamous lifelong marriage with Jacob. But in this moment, she just tosses it all out. She tosses it all out. Because her longings and her desires overtook her. And she made decisions which led to sin and dysfunction. And even as we guys, if you look at chapter 30, verses 14 through 24, you look at the situation with the mandrakes, because what we see here is someone who is just completely desperate. She's got these plants that a bunch of people, there's superstition. She's like, well, if I get those, I can get pregnant. She is desperate. desperate guys Rachel is like so many of us today living lives completely controlled and driven by longings and desires and it leads to sin and dysfunction and not God's plan and then finally let's consider Leah Genesis twenty-nine thirty-one. when the Lord saw that Leah was hated he opened her womb but Rachel was barren and Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. All right, so first importance, we see that despite the, the sin that's going on, the brokenness in these family, the polygamy that engulfed Jacob's family, the Lord has begun a work, and he's working out his own purposes. That sin won't stop God. All right, it will most definitely affect your life in a very negative way, but it won't stop God. He's got a plan, and he's powerful and sovereign. But what we see here of Leah is that while Rachel was desperately longing for children, Leah was desperately longing for the love of her husband. And as we look at the names that she gave her kids, guys, it points us to this reality. All right, with this initial birth, she declares, now my husband will love me. It's the name of her kid. The second son, Simeon, which means attachment, or which means the Lord has heard. The next one is attachment. She's thinking, the Lord has heard me. He's given me a son. She's thinking, well, maybe if the Lord has heard me, now my husband will hear me. Levi, which means attachment. She's longing for her husband to be attached and she's naming her kids after this. She has this deep, incredible longing. And all these things, they're good longings, right? I mean, here is a woman. If your heart doesn't break for Leah in this moment, you're hard. Here's a woman that's hurting and she longs for her husband to love her, which is right. But these deep longings that led Leah they led her to follow suit with rachel and she gives her servant to jacob for a wife as well so she can get more sons and guys it's all so messy and what we should be understanding is this is just ugly it's ugly but here's what i'll say all right these deep real strong longings that we all have at times again as christine hoover says point us to our neediness and they send us on a search for fullness of joy which is ultimately found in God, not other things. And Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah, they didn't get it. And when we don't get it, guys, here's what this does. If you step back and consider your life, we've all experienced this, guys, it leads to great frustration, great frustration. So let's consider this, the frustration of unfocused longing and desire. i right, I'm gonna make a statement that I guarantee you there's some people in this room you're not gonna agree with, especially if you didn't grow in the church and you're not a Christian, but I'm gonna make it, and I'm gonna help you try and see it's truth. But here it is, when our hearts long for things more than God, we will never be satisfied. When our hearts long for things more than God, we will never be satisfied, and frustration will be the primary mark of your life. The early African church father, Augustine, in his famous work, Confessions, here's how he puts it. He says it like this speaking to God, he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And behind Augustine's quote here is his life story of a series of desperate searches for fulfillment. That if you ever read his autobiography, you find him deeply longing and searching for fulfillment. And for many years of his life, it led him to just excessive pleasure. It led him to false religions, philosophy, sin, a lot of distractions. And it left him so weary, so weary of himself, so weary of life, that he can only cry out, how long, O Lord? How long? I know some of you, this is your life cry right now. You survey your life, you haven't been fulfilled, and you're searching for it. You're on this journey, and you're just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. How long? And Augustine, when he reached this moment in his life, it was then, as he cried out to God, that his eyes were opened, he discovered the secret of fulfillment. And here's what I'll tell you. The secret to fulfillment in life Begins with this truth, in the words of a man named Timothy Keller. Listen to this. When you get married, no matter how great you think that marriage is going to be, when you get a career, no matter how great you think your career is going to be, when you go off to seminary, no matter how much you think that is going to make you into a man or a woman of God, in the morning, it's always Leah. You think you're going to bed with Rachel, and in the morning, it's always Leah think about this. It's always Leah. Here's what this means. If you get married, if you have families, if you get your dream job, and you say, finally, this is going to fulfill me, this is going to fix my life, those things will never do what you think they're going to do. As Keller says, in the morning, it's always Leah, you're always going to be disappointed. Those of you who are dating, thinking about engagement, if you think you are going to marry that man or marry that woman, and finally your life is going to be fulfilled, that they are going to fulfill you, you're going to wake up and you realize it's always Leah. Because you're going to look at that person and you're going to realize they are just as broken and jacked up and sinful as me. Put two sinners in a house and someone's going to die. And if you put that amount of pressure on your spouse to be your rock, to be your fulfillment, you will crush that person. It's always Leah. Have you experienced this? Are you living this right now? You've desired something so greatly. You've pursued it. You've grabbed hold of it. And then when you get it, you realize it doesn't make everything perfect. It didn't really deliver. And then it's just more and more frustrating because now there's another thing in front of you that you need to pursue, and it feels like your life is just perpetually trying to catch the wind, right? You're just trying to grab hold of the wind. You can never do it, and you're so frustrated. A spouse, kids, money, a job, recognition, affirmation. When we place something of this world on a throne, on the throne of our heart, thinking that this will make our lives complete and fulfilled, it will lead to madness, and ongoing searching. And we will spend our lives continually looking for fulfillment and your life will be marked radically by frustration, which will lead to depression. But there is, in fact, hope. With the gospel, there's always hope. Let me show you this. I want you to see Leah's discovery and our hope of fulfillment. All right? Every time Leah has a child, she puts all of her hopes in her husband, now loving her. But something happens as she gives birth to the fourth child. Look at chapter 29, verse 34. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. You guys see the shift in Leah's disposition between verses 34 and 35? When she gave birth to this fourth son, she named him Judah, which means now I will praise the Lord. All right, Leah is just this woman who has given up on her husband's love. But in doing so, she realized the greater love of God, that God had given her four sons not to draw her husband closer to her, but rather to draw her closer to him. And each child was God declaring to Leah, I know that you are unloved by Jacob. Leah, I see you. I feel this. I know that is true. But I love you. God is saying, Jacob, he didn't choose you. But I've chosen you. He's saying, Leah, I know that you want him to be attached. And he doesn't see you. He doesn't hear you. He doesn't want you. But you know what? I see you. And I want you. I desire you. I love you. Doxa, you know what this means? There are no Leah's. In this room there are no leahs that god loves you if you're in this place where you feel like you've been forgotten you're without love that no one has has accepted you no one sees you maybe there's a woman in here that your husband you feel like leah that he's functionally married to something else in this world and it seems like you don't have it god sees you he's with you he's loving you just like leah And here's what's happening. I think Leah's starting to get this. Because she has this fourth kid. Something's happening inside of her. She's starting to become aware of the presence of God. She says, now I'm going to praise the Lord. And she's starting to change her entire focus of her life from her husband's love to the love of God. Listen to how C.S. Lewis says this at the end of his chapter on hope in mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, something supernatural and eternal. God is revealing himself to Leah here in such a way that she begins to call him Lord, Yahweh, the personal, intimate name of God, and she begins to worship him. That God is saying to Leah, I know you're trying to earn Jacob's love. You don't have to earn my love. You already have it. I already love you. And when you look at Leah through the lens of the entire biblical narrative, this is not just about God's love for Leah, even though that is amazing, right? But rather, we see God's love for us because God speaks the same truth over us. That like Leah, we are loved, we are chosen, we're not forgotten, we are his, and he loves us completely. And you don't need to do anything to earn God's love. That He is a father who is filled with love. He's filled with compassion and grace. And this truth begins to change Leah. She doesn't get it. I mean, I'd be reading too much into the text to say, wow, she got all of that. But there's something happening that is changing her. This truth begins to change Leah. And she sees the love and the work of Yahweh. And I love that she's really kind of functionally still in the grip of idolatry over her husband, but in the midst of this, she's being aware of God, and she's still got her idol of her husband's love over here, but she's crying out to God. Have you been there? Like Maybe, we're all there, right? Because we don't have it all together. We're still stuck in this sin, but we're still, we're crying out to God. She's getting it. She's getting it, and she's changing. And at this point, her heart is shifting From her deepest hopes being in her husband to now she has put them in the Lord. I need you to see this, Doxa. God did something in Leah. Her eyes are slowly being opened and she began to understand what you're supposed to do with your longings and your desires. She still had these longings, but she turned her heart primarily towards the ultimate longing that we all have and the only one who can truly give us what we need. God himself. And as she did this, her perspective in life was changing. And Leah in this account is really just a beautiful picture of redemption and hope. God sees this girl who was despised and rejected and she makes her the mother of Judah in the line of Jesus. That Leah's blood would flow through the veins of Moses and Aaron and David and Jesus Christ the bearer of salvation to the whole world this is a beautiful picture of the gospel that God sees her he redeems her see God makes Leah the rejected one the weak one the despised one the mother of Jesus and this is the way the gospel works right the gospel saves people not who are strong and put together and beautiful but those who admit that they are weak And unlovable and sinful and broken and need a Savior. And if you know that you are so weak and so sinful and so jacked up and you need a Savior, you can call on the name of Jesus and He will meet you where you're at and He will save you. This is true. But if you're in a place today where you can't say that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of the grace of God, you are just too proud for the gospel. You're too proud for Jesus. Who has come into the world to save you through Leah and her boy but he is waiting for you and he loves you and he's brought you here today to hear of this story to open up the Word of God so that you can see him for how he's so good and so I'm out of town but let me, out of town no I'm still here I'm out of time so let me just close with this I right, guys. this is this story with all of its moving parts, all of its dysfunction, all of its redemption, shows us a God who is faithful. That in the midst of everything, with Jacob's family and all their sin and misdirected longings and their lack of concern for God, behind all of that is a God who makes and keeps promises. God has promised to Jacob, I'll be with you. I'm gonna make you a great nation." We have a faithful God, Doxa. And As you walk through life, you can know that. You can rest in that. Because what we see through Jacob's life and his family, which is true of us in Christ, is that God is compassionate. He's caring. He's merciful. He's wise. He's good. He's loving. And he's with us every step of this journey that we call life to give us peace and joy and contentment and strength and hope in all that we need as we journey heavenward. Do you believe that? This is the word of God. This is God speaking to us as he spoke to jo- Jacob. I am with you. And we know that God reveals himself as a good father who loves his kid, who listens to his kids, who provides for his kids. This is our God. We can trust him because he is faithful. Psalm 107.9. Let me leave you with this. Listen to this. For he. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is our God and he's faithful to his promises. Let me pray. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for your words to us in the Bible and God thank you for the realness of the pictures that I can relate to every one of these characters in Jacob's story that I repent and confess that I do have longings that at times I elevate above you and they lead me to listening to them to listening to my desires before I even listen to you and it leads me to sin and distance from you and so god i i repent of that and ask you to help god i'm i love to put on a show that i have it all together sometimes and i'm strong enough to navigate through life and i like to think of myself in that way but the truth is is i'm weak and i need you i hear the words of jesus in john 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing, God. I know that that is true, and so, Holy Spirit, you say that you are our strength, our helper, our guide, our counselor. And God, would you be that in my life? Would you be that in all of our lives? And would you give us the perspective of Leah? Would you help us to look to you, even in the midst of having these deep longings? Would you not? allow us to make those ultimate longings but would you be the one that our heart longs for because we know that your word says that you will satisfy us you will fill us with good things and we trust you God, you're faithful